Views and opinions expressed are those of the host and guest. Any content provided by our host or guest are of their opinion and do not intend to harm any religions, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. seek answers to the questions that have crossed all of our minds. What happens to us when we die? Is there an afterlife? I'm a regular guy who discovered the gift of psychic mediumship in my 30s. My passion for history and the unknown have put me right here, right now. My mantra for anything paranormal is, we don't know much and anything is possible. Join me as we find our way through the stories, evidence, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond in search of answers, even if that leads to more questions. Are you with me? Episode 6 on January 5th. With my, uh, I'm your host Peter Orbea, and tonight I'm going to be welcoming in after the first break a very special guest, Ben Robinson. Uh, he's a great investigator, researcher, knows his tech. Uh, great guy. I'm excited to have him on. So we're going to talk about some really cool stuff tonight. We're going to be talking about a hypothesis that he has um, called the CERM hypothesis, spectral emotion to radio frequency manifestation. And I think that's going to be a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to tonight's show. But Happy New Year, everybody. We made it to 2021. And we're still going to be, I think we got a little ways to go before we start feeling a little more normal uh, about everything. But uh, at any rate, Happy New Year. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out 2020. Um, so (laughs) hello, 2021. So welcome everybody. Thanks for tuning in and we're streaming on, uh, Facebook at the paranormal Pete show page, but we're also right here on let's talk radio, WLTKDB.com. I'm so happy to be a part of this station. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a great, um, group of hosts and shows and it's uh, really awesome to be a part of that so uh, i'm thankful for that going into the new year and if you want to jump on the station chat just go to the website wltkdb.com and you can get in the chat there and so if you want to ask any questions go ahead and submit through the station chat and i will get that and hopefully we can get an answer for you uh we've also uh, like i said on my facebook page the paranormal pete show just look up that and we're streaming there as well. So I'll be trying to watch both and and uh, catch any comments or, or questions that come in. And we're, tonight we're also, I think, going to talk a little bit more um, more than just ghosts. <laughs> I think we'll be we're going to touch on some some other uh, paranormal type things as well and, and get Ben's thoughts and, and experiences. And I'm sure we'll be uh, swapping stories here. So. Um, but tonight I thought we'd, I'd start off with, um, so we're going to talk about Ben's hypothesis, um, which is spectral emotion to radio frequency manifestation. And 
I'm going to kind of take from a medium point of view, psychic point of view, and talk about that a little bit in a, in a different way um, before we bring Ben in. And so, you know, I wanted to talk about personalities and emotions um, of spirits, ghost entities, uh, whatever you'd like to call them. But uh, I mean, you kind of have to start with energy, right? And, and what is energy? And, um, you know, it basically, it can only transform uh, into a different version or a different type of energy. Um, so, you know, kind of the, at least in, in my experience in, in psychical research and medium research, field research, everything, I think, um, you know, when we, when our physical body dies in some form, our energy, our soul, whatever you want to call it, our brain waves somehow, you know, sir, in some ways survives, um, into the afterlife. And I think we perceive that as what you call ghosts. Now, when you listen to stories from all over the world and, and in through history, you know, ghost stories, stories of the paranormal, personal experiences, you know, they're all vastly different. Um, but I think when you, when you look at someone's claims, you know, when you think about a ghost as a person, you know, they were a person at one time, you know, they're, they're people too. Um, when you kind of start looking at it like that and listening to claims and, and stories, you know, it's almost like if you look at them as if they're living, it, it makes a little bit more sense, or at least I guess in my experience makes you feel a little bit better about going into creepy places and in the dark, um, you know, and if you hear a voice or see, you know, a shadow or maybe you're lucky enough to see an apparition you know put the human element back into it and i think it makes it a little bit easier for us to maybe understand what that experience was um and, and certainly think about it more and how it relates to other stories and other experiences so keeping that human element in mind with um, a ghost, a spirit, an entity, a specter, um, you know, that it's, I think it's important because in my experience, I think emotion and personality have so much to do with the experiences we have out investigating in the field, um, sitting at home and having your own personal experience, whatever it might be. And when you look at, you know, emotions, and I think kind of what Ben's hypothesis gets at is, you know, emotional changes can make energy changes. And I'll, when I, when he comes on, we'll, we'll have him clarify if I'm misspeaking this, but I think everyone has personalities just as they did in life. So I'm kind of looking at it from that point. So um, you know, I've done a presentation before called spirited personalities. And I think it's, it's a fun title because spirits have personalities. I think a lot of times when you watch, um, TV shows, you know, paranormal TV shows and stuff, 
when there's a negative sort of activity, a negative experience somebody has, people automatically just want to say, you know, oh, it's a it's a demon, it's it's non-human, it's something really bad if something negative um, is happening. And probably one of the most common types that make people think something really bad is just making you feel bad. You know, you're in a play in a location and maybe you're an empath or you're just sensitive or very observant and you, you get into a place and you just don't feel right. You don't feel good. I think that's probably a pretty common occurrence um, across the investigation field of, you know, you're in a place and you just don't feel good. Well, you get kind of a negative, there's a negative connotation to that when you're getting a feeling that makes you not feel good, happy, you know, light, whatever it is. And when you kind of can, you know, this is where the human element comes back is if you have an experience and, you know, it didn't make you feel good, or maybe it was something that, you know, said some not nice things or like, you know, something tells you to get out. Um, Don't, you know, automatically think it's a, you know, it's a demon or, you know, something bad. And, and, you know, if I'm being honest, I haven't had an experience with something I think people would call a demon. So, and thank you. Thank God for that. Um, (laughs) And hopefully that day doesn't come, but who knows? I'm kind of, you know, um, the jury's out for me, whether that stuff is, is really exists out there. Now I think there's toxic people, and toxic personalities and just people who aren't nice. So what happens when they become deceased and transition to the afterlife? What happens? Well, I think they take strong core elements of their personality with them. So the point is, if someone is a real jerk in life, just not a good person, probably in the afterlife if they are going to make their presence known if they're going to you know stick around a location or whatever chances are probably gonna experience their personality of how they were when they were living so you know someone who's a real um you know, devious prankster is probably going to be that type of spirit that is, you know, messing with your feet in your bed (laughs) while you're sleeping and waking you up and freaking you out or doing things to freak you out. Um, And, you know, Hey, on the other side too, you got, you know, toxic people. Well, just like in, in life, there's nice people and caring people and things like that. And so I think you get that as well when you're talking about spirits and ghosts and experiences and stories, you get both, you get the real a-holes, but then you can get the real nice people too. Um, and caring people. But, you know, I feel like in my experience, um, with doing readings, um, it's the nice people I think tend to, you know, the really caring type people, they tend to really stick around their family and the ones that they love, um, the ones that they've left behind here in this existence, you know, they, they care for them. They want to help them. So, you know, more often than not, I think they're more or less become 
you know, spirit guides for people in their family or really close friends that they consider to be family. So they're going to continue to do that on the other side. Now, I do think that uh, another level of that is, you know, for example, let's say you have uh, a location that has a reported apparition in it and it never really scares anybody. It just kind of is there and then it's gone. It's kind of, you know, um, it's not doing anything negative to make people feel uncomfortable or feel that it's something quote unquote bad. Um, when you, I think that an investigator could come in or maybe it's some, you know, the homeowner or the building owner, whatever property owner, someone could come in, you know, especially an investigator. There's a lot of this out there. They come in with real, you know, they want to instigate. They want to, you know, yell or, you know, hey, where are you at? Come out wherever you are. That, you know, I think that could take a nice spirit. <laughs> we'll call it a quote unquote nice spirit. And that could upset them and then could possibly make the activity seem negative. Maybe they don't want you there anymore because of how you're acting. And so things can change and then you, you get that negative side of things. So no matter what you're experiencing, I think if you can try and keep that human element and just, and, and as an, an investigator for all of you listening out there who do investigations, um, you know, not only when you're doing an investigation, you want to have your critical thinking and everything, but you also want to have the thinking of how would you treat, um, how would you treat these spirits if they were living and you're going into their house, you know, how, or their, their building or, or, or maybe it's a graveyard um, or a cemetery. So, you know, remember, you know, we're all human at one point, we're all in the flesh here on this existence at one point. And so if you go in, you know, and like I said, maybe it's, you know, a pretty, um, benign sort of spirit activity that happens in this place, somebody could potentially go in there and be an instigator and tick off that spirit, which is then going to make the activity seem negative. And then that's where you get people wanting to exercise that spirit or force it to leave. And I think that's probably a whole other topic um, <clears throat> I'll try and stay neutral on that one on, on kicking things out of, of locations. But, um, again, it's just keeping that, that human element. So everybody listening out there, you know, is there something you can think of an experience you had that you can recall, but now thinking about that interaction, that experience as if they were living, you know, on this plane with us, if they were living, do you maybe think about it a little differently or, you know, can you put yourself back in that experience to where, Hmm. I mean, it's really been, you know, eye opening for me to kind of think about things like that. And my experience as uh, a psychic medium is, you know, naturally I get along with, pretty much everybody. Um, and I've, I've just kind of always been that way, uh, real easy going. So maybe that's, you know, part of why 
um, I just discovered mediumship and everything is because I can, I can get along with most everybody, even, you know, people who are kind of jerks. I, you know, I, I can get along with them. And so, you know, when you're, so, I mean, so as a medium, it's getting along with everybody in this life helps me get along with everybody on that side. And if you can approach with a human element to these spirits, I think it's going to change uh, maybe how you can approach an investigation. Um, for example, the Walker Ames house here in Port Gamble, which is where I'm based out of. And that place, uh, there's lots of stories, tons of stories. There's actually a lot of evidence and it's mostly all audio, um, but a lot of different experiences reported in there. And I feel like I've experienced a lot of different things in there. And there's some, you know, things that are considered to be negative. And I've felt that before and I know countless others have as well. But once I started to really relate people's personalities to the activity, it kind of changed it for me in the sense that uh, it's, it's getting along with everybody. And so when I investigated the Walker Ames house, which is pretty often, um, you know, I introduced myself, uh, you know, thank you for, uh, sharing your space with me. You know, I, I let them know what I'm doing. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be here with a few friends this evening. We're just going to be checking out your home. Um, and we'd love to have a conversation with you. And I always, you know, any place I go in to investigate, one of the first things I say is, is that, you know, I'm not here to harm anybody or make anybody do something they don't want to do or go anywhere that they don't want to go. And because I kind of think about it like that if there's a spirit in this location, uh, you know, maybe it helps put them at ease. You know, maybe they're kind of, they have the personality of someone who's, you know, really introverted. They don't want to be, they're really nervous about things. Well, I want to go in and, and let, anybody and I say quote unquote anybody uh, in this location and you know try and put them at ease that hey you know I'm not here to harm you just want to talk you know and I have some devices here that can help me hear you or help me see you and that sort of thing and really explain what I'm doing and so um, and I found that that works um, you know, at least at the Walker Ames house where I have the most experience um, of doing investigating is, you know, I've tried to build a rapport over the years with our long-term residents of the home. And by the way, I think I'm probably going to haunt that place (laughs) someday, but I feel like I've built up a rapport because and I get weird looks all the time on my ghost walk tours when I go in and introduce myself and introduce the group and let them know what we're doing. People kind of look at me like, what are you, what are you doing? And, and I like to say, well, um, you know, think of it as we're going into somebody's house, like they're still living here. And so I feel like I've built up a rapport with the, with the long-term residents of this location and, and I think it helps and it, you know, helps to have a better conversation when you're actually investigating. And it certainly makes me feel a lot better. Like I said, about going into 
creepy places in the dark if I just think, oh, it's it's a person. And and by the way, you know, I think most investigators would agree uh, the scariest thing on a paranormal investigation is the living. Um, is it's the living people that <laughs> they're either messing with you to scare you because uh, they're your buddies or whatever. Um, you know, that's just, or, you know, someone's just, you know, being a jerk, whatever, but it's the living that are more scary than anything. However, your mind can start get a hold of you. If you're in a place, you know, has a lot of reports of, of haunted phenomena. And so keeping that human element, that's just kind of what I wanted. My point was realize that spirits, they've got emotions and personalities. And so you, if you just, approach it with that in mind, I think it's going to help you um, look at things differently and, and, and be more clear minded and not, not, you know, freaked out or anything. So, but that's going to bring us to our special guest, Ben Robison. We're going to pay the bills here and take a quick station break. It's 20 past the hour. When we come back, we're going to have special guest Ben Robinson with us. All right, we'll see you on the flip side on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. WLTK DB Let's Talk Patreon is a place for creators We're one of them Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash WLTK DB Check out all the unique support tiers we offer You can get early release episodes station mugs and t-shirts free station service work and much more Help the station reach its $1,000 per month goal to make our station totally ad-free patreon.com slash WLTKDB. We appreciate your support. Ever wanted to host your own radio show? If your answer is yes, then the time to act is now. WLTKDB Let's Talk is now accepting new programming more affordable than ever. You create the show idea and we'll take care of the rest. Not only do we create your program intro and provide broadcast training, but also syndicate you to popular outlets like Apple and Google Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. You get all of this starting at 100 bucks per month. Three packages to choose from and built to make your wallet happy. Contact us at WLTKDB.com with your show idea and let's bring your dream to life. All topics accepted and you have full rights to your program. Contact us today and reserve your spot on WLTKDB Let's Talk. What are you waiting for? Let's do this. Well, they say that you're Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Peter Orbea on Let's Talk Radio. It's uh, 22 past the hour, episode 6. Can't believe we're in the new year. But I'm really excited to bring in my good friend, great investigator. This guy knows his stuff. No pressure. Um, <laughs> and but my special guest, Ben Robison. How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing, man? Uh, happy that it's a new year. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I'm so ready to start afresh. 
Yeah, exactly. And and I think Ben and I, um, as pointed out by my beautiful wife, Molly, earlier today, we both have last names that everyone mispronounces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I've heard all kinds of things, but uh, so I wanted to make sure and get that right. <laughs> Thank you. I, I do appreciate it. I think he got after me one time and I've, I've had it right since, but <laughs> you know, I try to kindly, you know, remind people, Hey, it's not Robinson. It's not Robison. You know, it's actually Robison. Um, but you know, as you know, uh, people are going to do what they're going to do and they say it, you know, a variety <laughs> of different ways. They're going to perceive it in different ways, right? Exactly. Just, just like in the paranormal field. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, hey, quick, before we, we dive in on uh, all the cool stuff that you do, I did get a question through the Facebook stream, and I'll answer that real quick from Danielle. So thanks for asking a question. She asked, do you get to choose when they speak to you as a medium? And ultimately, yes, uh, because if – I don't want to be bothered. I can shut it off. And I think most people, you know, most people can, you got to learn to do that. Um, so ultimately for a short answer, yes, I think you, you get to choose. Now, sometimes it just happens and, you know, it's always kind of, whoa, surprising. Um, but uh, most of the time I think you can kind of control that. Uh, and it goes with, um, you know, where depends on the situation you're in, what's your intent? Are you investigating? Are you at the grocery store? You know, that's usually when someone will will speak to a medium and they're not expecting it. It's when you're standing at line at the grocery store and there's somebody shows up for the person standing in front of you. So, (laughs) so you can't always control it, but most of the time, yes. Um, So I want to get that in there, by the way, Uh, You can comment on the Facebook feed or join the station chat at WLTKDB.com and uh, we'll be happy to answer or uh, do our best to answer any questions you can throw at us. Uh, But Ben, yes, you, I met you at the Oregon ghost conference um, seven years ago. Something like that. Yeah. It's (laughs) been a while now. Yeah. Seven years ago. And you did a presentation on uh, unified mind theory, universal mind theory. Yeah. Yeah. Universal mind theory. And I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. You, you had a neat, uh, the way you talked about it, it was a cool approach to where um, someone like me, who was really kind of newer with, with getting into things could understand. Right. And, but, um, you know, seems to me like you think about this stuff a lot. I do. Um, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when you, you're in this field and you're kind of looking at, um, just data, we'll just generically refer to it that way. You know, you're, you're, you see these trends, you see these patterns, and this is why I talk about some of the things I do about it being important that we collect this kind of stuff. But when you do that, uh, you start seeing some, you know, these trends that um, I think that were kind of speaking to me in a respect. And so I wanted to delve in and kind of dig a little bit deeper and, you know, see if there was any credence or anything to back it. 
yeah, exactly. Give credence to any theories or anything out there. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a when you're looking at trends and everything, it can almost serve as a warning too. Right, exactly. What to watch out for. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is probably more common in the field of the paranormal is things to, hey, I won't be doing that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Exactly. That's not going to happen. But Ben, you've got a nonprofit group, the mm-hmm. Autonomous studies of the enigmatic and paranormal great job dude say that 10 times yeah i know it's a great i I love the name thank you um but for short it's it's asap yep and tell us and that's the easy way to say it (laughs) that's the yes that's the quick way to say it um although i think the full title is is very regal sounding thank you Um, i thought it was when i made it too but uh you know it's one of those you know mixed Mixed reviews on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it kind of makes me think of, you know, you should have been like in the 1880s with the uh, SPR, the Society for Psychical Research, and you would have been up there. I have formed a new group. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, have I figured out? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's, exactly. a, it's, it's a nonprofit. But uh, for everybody yep. listening out there, um, tell us a little bit about it. Well, um you know, I, it kind of starts really, um, with the beginnings of port port. I, uh, co-founded years ago back in technically it would have been like 2007 and we didn't, we didn't do anything for the first year as far as like cases go, because we were really wanting to develop process and procedure. We wanted to have some structure to the way we were we were doing our investigations. Okay. Um, so that itself port is a, its own story. And, and when that ended and, and just basically, uh, you know, retired the group, um, I had already started ASAP and I wanted to do something because one of the problems I ran across was a lot of people have really good intentions. For example, they want to be involved in this field of work, but they don't realize what can be uh, involved. Right. So I had a lot of people come and go and, you know, some of that's just learning experiences on my end and learning how to manage people and, and an organization of its own. But then there's also, there's just that people really didn't realize how much was involved or could be involved with uh, a case study. So um, I wanted to kind of start ASAP on fresh steps with the ability to have low overhead, meaning I didn't have a bunch of people I was managing, whatnot. And it was at that time, it was just myself. But I also wanted, and one of the things that kind of came to mind while I was running port, I really didn't like how... um, I wasn't working with the teams around me in the local areas or anywhere if, if the mm-hmm. opportunity arose. So I wanted ASAP to also open up the doors and say, Hey, I want to bring in people. I, I consider consultants and I want them to be able to, you know, um, uh, help us on cases. They can provide us, you know, expertise in areas some of this relies on even their real world jobs, you know, their expertise, right. their skill sets and things like that. Um, but 
it it was uh it was a great opportunity for me to really um start afresh and get some better uh just a more efficient design i guess is a better way to look at it yeah and and so the consultants <clears throat> excuse me kind of is so it's not like somebody who's you know actually on the team or they're not actually joining the team but you can bring them in and and you know did you do um you, you know did you do any sort of vetting for your consultants you well know, before you bring anybody in it's it's a matter of you know experience and time working with them for example um i've worked with Dama stearns um i worked with casey goodwin I've worked with Michael White, William Becker, um, you know, a lot of people, Jay Verberg uh, is another consultant, um, Neil McNeil, um, Kayla Ohala uh, is also um, a consultant. The way I vetted these individuals was really just based upon, hey, I, I, I've had a, a, enough conversations with you that make me feel like we kind of align or we're thinking the same thing. We're not doing these uh, these case studies for different reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're really wanting to try to, you know, help the field out. And um, I I invite them to uh, help out in case studies, and that's obviously a, a way for me to be a little bit flexible too uh, with the the size and scope of a, a case study. I can right. bring in more consultants or less and, and whatnot. Um, but the vetting is just mostly from time around these individuals and yeah. the conversations we've had and some of it working on cases. Some of them have invited me and Nicole as well um, to investigate as, uh, and on their case studies too. So do you, you know, when you get a case with, with ASAP, do you consider pretty much every case a case study or, I mean, is it just an investigation? I mean, do you stick with it? You know, Mm -hmm. even after your initial interviews, your initial investigation, do you kind of follow up and stick with it? For the most part I do, uh, depending on the case and how uh, involved it was, how much, uh, you feel that the client needs some, you know, reassurance or some checking in on it. You know, it's a case by case uh, yeah. situation, but um, you know, no case is ever really closed with ASAP uh, only for the fact that I just feel like that would be kind of a disservice. That's kind of making my mind up before there's, you know, any proof of what I'm even doing out there. Yeah. So I just rather, um, <laughs> you know, just yeah, kind of, uh, you know, keep the cases uh, open. But some of them, you know, like I said, you know, you you check in with from time to time, and some of them you you don't even have to touch base. Some of them um, contacts have kind of gone old and and outdated, and so sure. you lose contact, and they would. You know, our contact information hasn't changed, but their end. So there's sometimes a loss of communication there. Right. And that just kind of goes along with life. But exactly, I, I love that you, when you were talking about, you know, depending on how involved, you know, the case is, how much time and everything. I love that you, you said that it was, you know, it depends on 
if the client needs help and following up and that you didn't say be, you know, it depends on how much evidence I got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, I think that's, that's a really important point there. And I love that you said that. Thank you. Yeah. And I agree. It's a, it's, it's an important dynamic that often um, probably isn't considered very much by a lot of folks that are in the field for the fact that, um, you know, you have to look at each situation as a unique set of conditions. And also you have to kind of, uh, you know, try to figure out the intention, your intention first on how to help them, or even if it's not about help, it's about curiosity or their intention. What, what are they trying to get out of you by having you there? Is it to just, you know, figure right. out what's going on? <laughs> Is it to get them out of a lease? You know, I don't, <laughs> you never know. I mean, it could right. be a mixed bag, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's great. And uh, another thing you kind of touched on that I wanted to make a comment was, you know, when you're talking about consultants and, and you're uh, having conversations and you get to a point where you feel like they're thinking the same thing. And it's kind of funny um, episode two, when I had Casey Goodwin on the show, Mm -hmm. he said almost the same thing when it came to your first year after starting and investigating, you didn't take any cases that you you really yeah, try to come up with processes and it's, controls. It's amazing how well closely aligned me and Casey are on these, these, uh, these particular um, facets. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're like, when we first met, we were, we we're exchanging information about like, yeah, do you, I I'm operating this way and that way. And I mean, we were like, wow, okay. We're very much alike. And then as the years have carried on, um, you see that we're very alike in those respects too. So, yeah. um, I'm amongst good company uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And you, you have to be to enjoy it and to do things in the way that you want to do it. So, Correct. yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And you and Casey and a couple other guys that you mentioned, we'll talk about a little bit later if you guys, uh, project, big project, um, that you guys are working on as well. Indeed. But, um, so I kind of want to know a little bit about Ben and what got Ben into the paranormal mm-hmm. and, uh, funny side note, I didn't know that you lived in Boise where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I lo- a, I'm a, I'm a Boise, uh, Boise state fan. Um, me too. yeah. Um, I, I, I love the area. Uh, I had some wild adventures while I lived in Boise. So it's always been a very, uh, important place, you know, in yeah. my, my upbringing. Well, hello to any people from Boise out there. Yes. <laughs> I was, I was, I was just like, what small world. Holy yeah. smokes. <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm from. That's where I was born and raised. So. Yeah. I remember, I remember, what was it? Um, uh, is it called, um, hold on. Hot Springs Avenue. Warm Springs. Avenue. Warm Springs. That's it. Yeah. Warm <laughs> Springs. I, it's been so many years since I've yeah. been there, but, um, yeah. Warm Springs Avenue used to have all those really fancy. Well, no, it didn't have as many of the fancy old Victorian houses on it. And then I don't remember when it was in the eighties or something like that. Yeah. They the moved 80s. a bunch of them yeah. onto Warm Springs. And now that's why there's so many of them. Right. 
Yeah, those houses are so cool. Yeah, there's so I, many with hidden rooms. That, yeah. That's kind of stuff I really dig. That's I would I've always like dreamed of living on that street. Mm-hmm. Same here. Same <laughs> and, here. And now, um, you know, my life now, I mean, that would be awesome. And you know, I spent a lot of time at the Idaho State Penitentiary. Not oh, yeah, not for those <laughs> reasons, because it's closed, but <laughs> spent a lot of time there as a kid. And yeah, I went through it, the tours on that as well. Yeah, it's something I look back on a lot and remember how I felt in certain places and kind of putting two and two together with my mm-hmm. life now. And so I just think it's so cool. And I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, isn't so that, could, isn't oh, that prison just real quick on that? Isn't that uh-huh. prison? The uh, one where the guy dug himself out and when he popped out on the other side, they were waiting for him. Wasn't that, I don't, I don't remember that story, but it's very possible. Yeah, I remember when I did a tour, they were talking about it, and the guy had collected, like, spoons and used them as shovels and created a tunnel <laughs> and basically got out of his cell and I think came up in the yard, and they were just yeah. standing there waiting for him. Oh, man. Yeah, I probably heard that story and wasn't paying attention, <laughs> you know, because I was younger. But I the story that I always remember and been uh, just always – affected me in some way was the guy who was going to be executed. And when they went to get him out, he climbed up to the top of the cell block and did a swan dive off of it, landed on his head, cracked the solid concrete, and he's still alive even after that fall. And then he eventually died from his injuries. But the fact that he jumped like four stories like face first, like he hit literally face first on the total concrete. intention to kill himself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind and of then botched it kind of. Yeah. And that seems like a pretty surefire way to do that. Yeah. But, yeah. But I, I love that place and yeah. uh, hope Great to get place. back there at, at some point. And I see mm-hmm. a few TV shows have been there. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, it's, I, I love it there. Um, but uh, it's just a, what a small world out there. And, yeah. And, uh, but I wanted to kind of know, you know, for everybody listening out there, by the way, we're on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. And I mean, do you have an, a first experience that you, you know, it's something that's ingrained into you? You just, you know, it was an experience. You know, what was that that kind of made you go, what the heck? Well, when I was like, I think I was like four years old or something like that, um, which is really early age to try to remember things. Um, (laughs) So it's, you know, um, one of those things it's stuck. That's what makes it so interesting is I still remember it so vividly. Um, My father was staying for a short period of time in his parents, my grandparents' basement and he had uh, a room down there with a uh, one of those hide beds And this is, you know, I mean, this has got to be like 1980 or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, we're down there hanging out and, well, sleeping. And we awake. And um, it is like this beam of light coming through into the basement. And, wow. and this full body apparition is literally uh, manifesting in front of us. And my bat, my, both my dad and I sat up and we were like, what the hell? And, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, 
you know, understand at the tender age of four, I probably don't even understand what I'm looking at, but you know, later on when he explained what happened and we talked about it later in years, that's what, uh, took place, but it, it kind of, it kind of, um, lit up the room and manifested and it had kind of female qualities to it. So that's why I've always felt like it was a, maybe a female, uh, of origin, uh, but don't know, um, other, cause it lasted so briefly after she manifested dissipated, just gone. Yeah. And so having that happen at such a early age, really like, I mean, I, I know I remember seeing the perplexed look on my father's face. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I was just not understanding it. And, and it, to remember it so well over all these years, you know, 40 years, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a pivotal piece in my life with regards to the supernatural or, or potentially the supernatural. Yeah. And it's such an early age. And I think it's, it's, you know, the, the fact that your dad saw the same thing, I think that's crazy. No, uh, I've asked him since then. I, I was going like, to ask because he talked later, about it. Yeah, recent years I've asked him. Uh-huh. And I get kind of, I think he kind of has forget, forgotten about it, I think. <laughs> I'll have to talk to him <laughs> again about it. But like I was, you know, because it's one of those things you, you want to go, okay, am I making this up in my head? Or is this, you know, really uh, uh, something that happened? And and he was like, I do recall some weird thing happening, but he said he just couldn't remember the details to it. So yeah. um, that's the only downside is, you know, he doesn't have as strong of a memory of it as I do. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just it's human. We just move on. Yeah. You know, from things. And and that happens a lot more than people want to either let on to <laughs> or realize happens. Yeah. Yeah. We just we move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have bad memories in a lot of cases. Yeah. <laughs> but so that's so cool that it was a like a beam of light. Um, did it, it did it seem to come from within the room? Do you, I mean, do you, can you recall that or Yeah, I'm, so there, I remember the I remember there was this white uh what would you call it? It was like a closet but it wasn't built into the wall. It was like a big um armoire and it had okay. like a closet side to it and then it had like shelf sides to it to store stuff in it this thing whatever it was that presented itself to us or showed up um manifested right in front of that and um and it looked like the light was coming from within the room because you know now that i look back and i'm trying to be analytical again <laughs> we're talking 40 years ago but regardless <laughs> trying to, you know, look at the situation with a critical lens and think, you know, was it some kind of light that came down from uh, outside and, sh- you know, shone through the, the window in the basement and, and then caused this? It's hard to say. Uh, yeah. I, I really, there's no way to, to go back now. And that's, that's one of the things <laughs> I, you know, I feel very strongly about is personal experiences really are a vital piece to the you know, the paranormal research that we do Um, because those are what shake people to their core that make them believers or, or 
you know, otherwise, uh, those, you know, profound experiences. Oh yeah. They're the most impactful and the most flawed at the same time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But but like you said, they, they do shake you to your core. And I, I just thought it's so interested in the, you know, it was a beam of light, um, you know, and, and some of the readings and, and work that I've done over the past few years, it does seem like spirits travel kind of along a beam of light, you know, and that's maybe how they get back and forth. Um, like a to, vessel of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like a little transporter sort of, mm-hmm. thing, you know, <laughs> and so that's interesting with, with, with uh, the beam of light. So, and I think it's funny. Your dad's kind of forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, I mean, I know that it's for me, there's, there's several uh, memories that m- my children have brought up and I don't remember every one of them and they're yeah. profound to them, you know, but yeah, I've forgotten some of the details to them. So yeah, it, like you said, it's one of those things that just happens. Yeah, and this is just one of the things he didn't pocket. And, and for me, I did probably because it was such a unique thing and I was four. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so I wanted to also ask, I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about before um, and, and read, you know, that you lived in, you know, a pretty open-minded house and, you know, myself, it was, you know, a lot of science fiction, <laughs> That was, that was a thing. And I felt like that really opened, opened me up, um, you know, just to having an open mind naturally. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you kind of feel the same way that, you know, especially by the way, I talked about this with Casey. I think we grew up in the best, like one of the best eras of, you know, movies and music but you know (laughs) movies and characters and shows and stuff and but maybe that's just being nostalgic but do you kind of feel like uh growing up in that environment it has benefited you today with what you do i do i absolutely do for the simple fact that um just having that openness alone openness to what could be what can be, you know, um, I think that's, that's a, um, for some people it's, there's a wall or something, something blocking them from being able to see past that and see what could be. I don't think that with the way I was raised with this openness or the, you know, the, the shared experiences, that was the thing. It's just like anything, you know, um, you can inundate a child with information and freak them out or make them concerned and anxious for no reason. But if you're sharing it with, uh, you know, the, the intention to educate them and open their mind a little bit, um, I think that's a big thing. And so I was always one of those kids that had a lot of questions and, you know, would ask my father and, and uh, he would answer, you know, to his best capabilities. And I've done the same with my children. Um, but, you know, I, I think that openness is, is very critical. Especially when you're researching the unknown. <laughs> yeah. 
you yeah, know, I mean, if you've already way. got your mind made up on what what is the unknown, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not much going to change. Why it. do why do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and Michael White had me to comment um, about personal experiences. What may be profound to one person might not be so to another. Exactly, <laughs> and that's that's true. And, you know, yeah. I mean. When I tell my story, there could be somebody out there that going, you were four years old, kid. You don't remember crap from then. You know, yeah. it's, there's no way you know that. And, and, and it's not profound to them. But for yeah. me, it was. And I remember, I've never forgotten those details over yeah. the years. Yeah. My, my first experience that I can remember vividly when I was seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've talked about it before. Um my grandpa and I witnessed the same thing, you know, two apparitions showing up in the middle of a highway and we drove right through them. And they wow. were gone. That's and, crazy cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I still remember it really clearly, but we, he and I never talked about it again. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was something, you know, and that might be his generation. He was, you know, world war two generation and they didn't talk about a whole lot of stuff. It was and, such a different generation. It was taboo. You were yeah, exactly. a, a, a weirdo if you, you talked about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he, he looked at me and said, you know, uh, he was from a different generation. So I'll say it a little differently than he did. But he said, do you see them old Native Americans <laughs> in the road? Yeah. And, and that's what I saw. And I, I said, yes, there was two of them. And he said, the first thing he says is don't tell your grandma. Cause she wow. was, she was on the other side of me sleeping in the, in the truck. Oh, and wow. we were just, we were driving and, and, and that was it. <laughs> and I, and you know, I think he comes around me, uh, at, well, my whole family. So I'm going to ask him one of these times, Hey, what'd you think about that? Right. <laughs> Cause Get I never the answers. It, it never came up with him again. And yeah. it's just, and it just kind of stuck with me and I just kind of held on to that you know, that experience. So I think it's, it's great to be, you know, open, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the intent of, of education. And, and like you said, opening, opening the mind with the kids. And, yeah. I mean, don't, don't you know. feed them an agenda. Don't feed them, you know, uh, fluff and, and extra <laughs> stuff. Just, you know, kind of get to the meat and potatoes of it and explain, you know, that this is something that people uh, around the world, um, you know, yeah. over many, many centuries of experience and some of it's very explainable and some of it's not, um, yeah. you know, you can get really complex and use big words and I've been known to do that, but I, <laughs> it, it, anymore, it's kind of one of those things. I'm like, look, you know, um, we, we don't have to overcomplicate this. It's just a matter of, you know, whether or not you're a believer or not. And if you've had experiences to, to help shape you into that yeah. Yeah. and, 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 you know, whether you don't, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with either or, you know? Yeah, exactly. I've been trying to live by, you know, we don't know much and anything's possible. So, you know, I mean, what, what the hell do I know? Really? What the hell do right. any of us know? Really? Right. You know, anything's yeah. possible. <laughs> And that's why it's like when you hear people, you know, say expert, you know, it's 
it's just a dicey road to go down. You're, there's no expert in this field, really, because we don't have anything proven. I mean, there are some <laughs> very, very extremely knowledge people, uh, whether it's their experience from many, many investigations or case studies and such, to people who have actually d- done the the uh, you know the hard work and gone through the rigors of acquiring the title as a parapsychologist, even. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and often, you know, it's hard to not call somebody an expert though, because that's the first word that comes to your mind when, you know, when I did my radio show, um, I used the word often too. And it's, and it, and it was one of those, you kind of went, Oh, I didn't mean to, Oh, I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> but you know, we're all doing our best. And, and that's, that's a, an important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, yeah. um, I know we'll probably be talking on this in a little bit, but like uh, one of my my hypothesis that I have, um, some of the wording even in it is a little outdated as far as I'm concerned because my paradigm has changed, you know, over the years. And I think it should. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's important. Like, I shouldn't be the same investigator I was, you know, five, six, seven, you know, plus years ago. Um, oh, I should yeah, be more sure. advanced, more well-rounded, more polished, more uh, knowledgeable, more open. Um, yeah. Not go and less gullible. You know, less um, uh, willing to to you know uh, jump on the bandwagon for you know a plethora of different types of things. Exactly, and I think it's a part of our soul arc. Each of us as an individual, it's a part of our, the human experience is to grow mm-hmm. and change. And if you can never stop learning uh, or, you know, you feel like you never learn enough, I think you're, you're always going to be, you know, in a good place and, and on the right path. If you're always, you know, continually trying to grow. I know that I, I mean, if I was doing things the same way when I started doing paranormal investigation, you know, I would look at myself and be like, what the heck are you doing, man? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, same for me. I mean, I'm, I'm no different. I'm no better. And, 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 uh, you know, I know I've had my, um, rants on, uh, Facebook about, you know, what I do and don't like. Um, but, um, you know, I'm no better than anybody. It's just a matter of, you know, when you get to that point where you, you see things differently. You see things a little bit more clearly. You're, you're yeah. a little bit more objective and critical. Um, you don't, you don't uh, see things the same way, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. as you yeah. used to. Exactly. And I think, you know, that kind of stuff makes uh, a good researcher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you feel like, do you like the research side of things more or do you like the investigation side of things more when you're when we're talking about paranormal investigations well your question was do you like i don't (laughs) like the research um and that's just being honest um the research is necessary and it's very 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 important sure but it's not fun and and that's why (laughs) like i told you earlier i lost so many people and uh, when I was running port, because I mean, I had one lady one time, literally gave me her, her, uh, membership fee. And I said, okay, get me a bio and a picture to put on our website so I can add you and welcome to the team and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
oh man, that's so much work. I didn't know I was going to have to just keep my money. Uh, thank you though. And that was the end of her time with port. And I was like, what the, I didn't even wow. ask you to do anything on a case. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Imagine if you would have been like, here's 10 hours of audio. <laughs> exactly. She would have melted. Do you have so, just evaporated? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to be, we're going to be going to a top of our break here in a couple of minutes. Um, but before we, when we come back, we're going to talk about your, the CIRM hypothesis. So I want to kind of dig into that a little bit and, and pick your brain on that. And, um, also ask you about some other experiences, um, you may have had from other parts of the paranormal field. Sure. Um, and then we're, yeah. And then let's talk about the case study documentary that you're working on, but, uh, So I look forward to that. But real quick before we go, what's your favorite type of data to review? Audio. Yeah, audio, just because it's the most fruitful so far. Yeah. You know, it's the most consistent. Yeah, me too. I'm right there with you. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody on uh, Lauren Linker on uh, Facebook said she loves the research. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, good. I mean, good for you. There's nothing wrong with that you know yeah you gotta you gotta find your niche and and run with it yeah exactly so well we're gonna pay the bills here at the station and take a break we're at the top of the hour at the paranormal pete show and special guest ben robison we'll be right back i will see you on the flip side on let's talk radio wltkdd.com WLTK DB Let's Talk Alternative Talk Radio WLTKDB.com Tallying votes. I'm Lisa Lacerra, Fox News, awaiting results in the critical Georgia runoff election that will determine which party controls the Senate, where Republican Kelly Leffler is expected to make remarks this hour. She is in a hotel room uh, upstairs watching with her parents. David Perdue is still off-site uh, because he is he continues to quarantine after close contact with a COVID-infected staffer. Both the Democrats are behind closed doors tonight. The Democratic Party did not have a big in-person event. Raphael Warnock is watching with his family. John Ossoff, we're told, is watching with his team. Fox is Peter Ducey in Atlanta. President Trump has tweeted he will hold what he's calling a Save America rally tomorrow morning outside the White House as Congress is set to meet to certify the election. The quadrennial counting of the Electoral College during a joint session of Congress is usually a largely ceremonial affair, often lasting less than an hour. But more than a dozen Senate Republicans plan to join dozens of House Republicans objecting to the slate of electors sent by several states. That will trigger potentially several hours of debate and votes on accepting the electoral count, but it's unlikely those votes would have any effect on President-elect Joe Biden's electoral college tally. In Washington, Jared Halpern, Fox News. The federal judge has tossed out President Trump's latest bid to overturn his election loss in Georgia, saying the Secretary of State did nothing wrong. In Kenosha, Wisconsin. Oh, 
Demonstrators taking to the streets after prosecutors announced this afternoon that no criminal charges will be filed against the police officers in the shooting of Jacob Blake. Blake, who was black, was shot seven times by police in the back in August when they were responding to a domestic violence call. Police say that he had a knife and wouldn't drop it when told to do so. America is listening to Fox News. If you're a business owner, you don't need us to tell you that running a business is tough. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Schedule your free product tour right now at NetSuite.com slash Fox. NetSuite.com slash Fox. Concerns growing around the U.S. as a new, more contagious variant of COVID-19, first detected in England, continues to spread here. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says it has been found in New York State. The U.K. strain uh, is highly problematic. And it could be a game changer. Cuomo says there is what he called a foot race between vaccinations and hospitalizations. A self-described American nationalist who police in New York City say left a hoax explosive device in a car at a shopping mall yesterday has turned himself in. 22-year-old Louis Schenker surrendered early this morning in Brooklyn. Schenker, who on social media describes himself as a patriot and supporter of President Trump, left a fake bomb in a Tesla in the mall's parking garage. He was previously arrested in December, 20, uh, December 30th after police say he torched a poster attached to a police barricade in Manhattan. The Trump administration completes action on one of its biggest environmental rollbacks. It's likely the last major rollback of regulations affecting the environment before President Trump leaves office. The Environmental Protection Agency announcing its strengthening transparency and finalizing a rule limiting what scientific research it can use to formulate regulations. Under it, scientists would need to disclose raw data involved in public health studies for findings to be considered when determining the danger of pollutants or other threats. Critics say disclosing identities would jeopardize medical confidentiality and cripple the agency's ability to protect public health. Lillian Wu, Fox News. American factories grew in December, the fastest pace in more than two years as manufacturing continued to fare better during the pandemic than the battered services sector. The Institute for Supply Management reported its gauge of manufacturing activity rose to 60.7% last month, the highest reading since August 2018. I'm Lisa Lacera. This is Fox News. Is QuickBooks slowing your business down? Do you have challenges managing inventory, project profitability, or just getting paid fast enough? Get your business to a better place and graduate to NetSuite today. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash fox. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash fox. netsuite.com slash fox. Of all the radio stations in the world. 
We're one of them. We are controlling transmission. WLTK DB. Let's talk. Alternative Talk Radio. WLTKDB.com. Well, they everybody, welcome back to the Paranormal Pete Show, episode 6, with special guest Ben Robison. I'm your host, Peter Bay. We're on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. Jump on there and hit us up on the station to chat. And if you got any questions, we'll do our best to answer them. And similarly on, on Facebook. Um, so yeah, coming back here for the second hour, I wanted to kind of dive into... Um, hypothesis ben has worked on and by the way you can find uh his write-up on this at www.a-sep.org and if you're watching on the facebook stream i put that uh, as one of the first comments there so you can find it easy but if you want to go read this and uh other stuff he's got on his website it's interesting and thought-provoking so uh, definitely go check that out. Check out Ben's website. It's asep.org, but that's a-sep.org. Um, so, Ben, let's talk about the CIRM hypothesis, and that stands for – you like these long titles. <laughs> stands for Spectral Emotion to Radio Frequency Manifestation. So give us a little background on – what kind of drove you to actually, I don't know if I want to say make this an official thing or, you know, what kind of drove you to, to do this? Uh, it had a lot to do with like be, being in the telecommunications field at that time uh, as a uh, network engineer, I was really immersed into the, the, the ends ins and outs of how telecom works and radio frequency and, and things like that. So, you know, you have a kind of keen eye for that kind of um, thing. And when I started doing the paranormal research into uh, my, you know, spare time and, and part um, that part of my life, mm-hmm. um, I started seeing some things that kind of stood out almost like red flags, if you will, they were, you know, like, why is it then that we're only getting little snippets when we get it? And I know there are EVPs out there that are longer, but what I'm saying is a general rule of thumb, uh, why are we only getting snippets for? Sorry, I didn't mean to mute myself. I just hit the, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, why are, there, why are we getting, uh, you know, snippets of our communications or our attempts to communicate with this, this, you know, supposed energy or beings on the other side. Um, and then it, I looked at things because I'm technical in nature. I like to, you know, examine the equipment. I like to understand it. I like to know it's pros, cons, you know, mm-hmm. all the, the things that I think are necessary for why I'm using it. I ask questions like, why, why use this then? or at all, you know? Um, and uh, so as time went on, I was like, what I started, you know, running this idea through my head. I was like, well, what if 
what if we are only getting snippets because it's actually limitations with within the equipment we're using. So I started right. digging into that. I started reading and I tried to read more and, and I found the common uh, denominator was everything has a frequency response range. So it has a beginning right. and an end of its frequency that it can, to you know, uh, recognize mm-hmm. whether that's just monitoring and, and listening to or, or viewing or um, recording and data logging or whatever. Um, so I started playing around with this idea and, and developing it and it kind of just started fitting together from, from like, a, um, it, it just started fitting together really well in, in what I, um, thought it might do. Meaning I thought that when I started researching energy and I started researching, uh, like, you know, radio frequencies and such that they, there, there'd be some kind of tie. And I knew that because of the type of equipment we used and their, the way they're designed. So as I developed this, uh, this, uh, hypothesis. Um, I've bounced it off several people that I admire and, and, you know, uh, look, look to for consult consultation in, in respects and just peer review of, you know, is this thought a stupid thought all the way through or, or is it actually, you know, uh, there's some validity to it or potential validity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, it's been met with good, uh, response. Um, people think whether, no matter what side they're on, whether they're more, you know, intuitive or they're more technically driven like myself, mm-hmm. um, I, I seem to get a good reception to, uh, the concept of this and essentially, um, what it is, is I believe that just like you and I are having this conversation right now, uh, emotions change depending on what we're talking about. You could talk about something right. funny. You could talk about something scary or, or shocking or, or sad. And our emotions change. We've also learned over the years that our bodies emit their own frequency. And that can be uh, different based upon age, health, environment, you know, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I felt like, like the, the possibility is there that when I ask a question to this said supposed spirit that I think is there in this location I'm at, it might invoke them, whether it's intentional or, or some kind of just, um, uh, you know, gesture of sorts it might invoke them to change their emotion on and response and then therefore if if they're changing their emotion then it stands the reason that their overall frequency is changing and if that overall frequency is changing then that means we need to follow that frequency follow that response as it changes but the problem is we don't have that technology in place right now. Also, we don't have um, ways to like uh, trigger other equipment 
I have not seen yet out there where people sure. are marrying several pieces of technology where, for example, if the said spirit, you asked, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your life? Well, that could invoke a, 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 an emotional response. It could have been a hard life for someone. Right. Um, and so if their emotion changes and it goes outside of the frequency response range of a particular device, in this case, we'll say a digital audio recorder, because that's what most people will be using. Yep. You're going to miss that because that's a window. That's a limitation that device actually has. It can't not, it cannot hear or record beyond that frequency or be, before that frequency. So if we had other devices that either overlap slightly or, or uh, butted right up to those, Mm-hmm. Um, that could trigger and record their event during while it was in there, their frequency response range, and then pass it on to the next one following it, and so on right. and so forth, uh, recording this and data logging it, we could probably get a full conversation of if the if spirits are really communicating to us. Yeah, so if somehow you could have different types of data and string it all together, maybe you get you know, a full conversation. Now in there, didn't you talk about, you know, like uh, having a full spectrum camera that's, you know, triggered by an EMF, by an EMF spike. Yeah. So I mean, talking about, yeah. In the article that I wrote, I I just was trying to give some examples. Um, So like if you had uh, a digital audio recorder that was triggered by say um, something like, I mean, I've played around with the idea of having, Arduino boards or, or the like, um, are you familiar with what those are? Not really. They're little small computers basically. And I mean, really small. Okay. Okay. Um, and it makes it nice because it's a, it's a small profile and you can, you can connect them to a lot of different things. Um, and so you could in theory take, these devices marry them together with Arduino boards and then let the Arduino boards command each one to, to start recording or monitoring the, the, uh, the frequencies that they're capable of and, and logging this. And then that way we can look back later on and go, okay, well, when we asked Marianne, I'm just making up a name at the moment, um, Mm -hmm. you know, how her life was, she gave us a response and we were able to capture it on, several mediums, you know, different devices uh, that all digitally interface to uh, say an Arduino board or, or something like that. Um, right. And then log it. And then now we have a more comprehensive collected, um, I guess just data. Yeah. Um, to, to look back at and review for, you know, trends and, 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 or, if you're getting what you want, you know, full responses, then, I mean, you're, you're getting the results, <laughs> the results that we're all trying to get, you know, when we do yeah. these uh, recording sessions. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Instead of getting just a, a snippet, you know, mm-hmm. and that just everyone can, who does paranormal investigation knows all about that. You get a piece of a word. Yep or two syllables that you have no idea what it said. (laughs) Exactly. And you're trying to bit and piece. And then even sometimes the, the quality, you know, whether it's an A, you know, B or C class um, comes into play. And 
And for me, it's very rarely, I mean, almost to never almost that I find that B or C quality uh, EVPs are worth my time because when I, and I don't mean like they, they don't matter to what's going on. What I mean is trying to clean them up and, and figure out what's being said, especially when you're talking C class, but like it just, it's so much work. And, and half the time you find out it it really doesn't even help at all. It's just something small and yeah, it's there, but what did it really tell you in the long run? You end up distorting the actual. Yeah. You can manipulate the, yeah, yeah, the audio itself. Yeah. That's why, you know, a lot of people don't realize that they're modulating things also with these pieces of equipment and, you know, the, that, that's just a, a caveat really to what we're doing or how we're collecting. And that's just something we got to figure out how to, to, to maybe avoid or to lessen. Um, I don't know. And well, that's, I guess we just don't have ahead. the equipment. Yeah. I was just gonna say, well, we just don't have the equipment that yet yeah, that has minimal or no effect on the environment that it's measuring. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's something, I don't know. There's a lot of people out there that are creating apps and they're creating these, these boxes and devices. And, uh, you know, I mean, I appreciate their efforts and I really don't, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't agree with the way they're going about doing it for the most part, but I also am like, what has it really done for the field? If your device has been that earth shattering or, or great, and it's sold this many of it. um, Why aren't we really any further along with our field of research? And that's my hopes is with Mm -hmm. the CIRM hypothesis to um, maybe inspire some engineers out there that have the know-how. I'm not a mechanical, I'm not an electrical engineer. (laughs) I barely know network engineering, (laughs) but you know, my point is, you know, have the people inspired by uh, uh, an idea, a concept to come in and use their expertise in their work, real world um, jobs Mm -hmm. to um, build something that might help us actually get more data overall right and across several mediums exactly get that yeah because that's ultimately what we're going for is we want corroborated on multiple instruments yep and along with that personal experience if i'm standing in a room with you pete and we're talking and we're trying to investigate a, a particular phenomena and something comes up and tugs on my shirt and we've got right. devices to capture it, not only video image uh, and uh, audio and, and EMF and, and all these different devices capturing it on their plane. Maybe we can get more understanding as to what caused that tug feeling on my, my, um, my yeah. shirt or, or to confirm that there's nothing there at all, maybe. And it was, and it was a spider or something. Right. <laughs> you, you caught Better a not be a spider, man. Better not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad visualization. Uh, yeah, no, you got to be able to, um, 
either be able to get more credible evidence mm-hmm. uh, data, or you're going to be able to disprove whatever you, you thought the activity was. Right. So when, once you kind of came up with this and, and were conscientious of it and, you know, uh, thinking about it more, did, did you kind of change how you investigated it all? I did. Um, and actually nobody's ever asked that question. That's, that's uh, a good question. Um, it, it, it helped me, I think more logically look at things. Also it helped me, um, because the whole point of a hypothesis is to kind of ultimately end up working it. Now I can't really work this hypothesis until a device is made with <laughs> the intention or the inspiration behind this, this uh, concept. But, um, you know, I would, uh, I, t- uh, I totally lost my train of thought just now. Wow. <laughs> Well, well um, how, how, how did it change? Oh, like, yeah. How did, how did it, did it, it change, change your, my yeah, your yeah. investigations? Yeah. So what I was doing is I was finding myself going in and, and actually examining more. I was setting out other pieces of equipment to watch and monitor and record. Whereas before it was kind of um, more after the fact, th- most of the review took place and that there's nothing wrong with that, but I was trying to proactively see if I could see things in, in the real moment. time, um, mm-hmm. just like the concepts with some of those real time uh, recorders that are out there. But I wanted to just watch to see if there's anything going on in those realms, those, those frequency realms. Um, anyways. Um, so my investigating style changed to more adapt to, to kind of uh, almost a preparation of, how to you know employ the serm hypothesis into a theory of sorts yeah and, and did it like affect um what pieces of equipment you were using and yep. like where like placement and you know all that, just overall that changed like what was something that you used to use and then you stopped using um <laughs> uh <laughs> i i had bought um a well i called it a frank's box a frank's box mm-hmm. after frank sumption um yeah. who really kind of as far as i know uh kind of led the way with this this whole spirit box you know uh craze mm-hmm. so i had one year typical radio shack uh radios that were hacked so that way it just kept skipping through the channels yeah. um i don't use that anymore and the the main reason why i don't use spirit boxes at all is um, it's a numbers game. Um, you can read FCC allows certain topics, certain conversations, certain types of words to even be used after mm-hmm. certain hours of the day. Um, and when we're working in the middle of the night on case right. studies and you hear unsavory words across your, your, uh, your device, your, your Frank's box or Spears Mm -hmm. box. It doesn't mean it didn't come from a radio station because it was an unsavory word. It just means that it happened during a time that they were allowed to have that kind of dialogue. And, and it doesn't prove anything, especially with the amount of yeses and, and general response type Mm -hmm. words used in advertisements during radio shows 
um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's there. It, it's a, it's a, it's the Achilles heel, in my opinion, to, sure. to that device. So that's one device I don't use anymore, mostly because it's, and I know there's advanced ones out there, flip back and forth. I got, I get it, <laughs> but it's still a numbers game. That's all I have to say about it. And it's just the numbers game. And I'm not trying to upset sure. anybody, but it's just, it, you know, you're going to get sure responses that seem like they're matched to what you're asking because it's flipping through, I don't know how many radio stations at a time, you know? Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I, I think they're fun, you know, it's interesting. I've had, you know, I think some weird stuff come through. (laughs) Well, Um, we, we used one on the Rutherford Glen mansion up in Longview, Washington. And I can't deny weird things happened. Um, matter of fact, somebody brought an ovulus and I cannot stand those things. Um, and I won't even go into that, but, um, (laughs) uh, you know, they brought it and there was weird responses and that's great and everything. But if we don't understand why we're getting those responses or how the equipment we're using works, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's we're not getting really anywhere. We're just using somebody else's design and trusting it. And that's the other thing, right? A lot of these people make these devices. You hear a lot of people say things along the lines of, I had spiritual influence and I'm not saying that's not possible, but to help you design a whole device and to know that when an EMF hits this high of, and the humidity drops this much and the temperature rises this much, that means murder the word murder. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, that's it's a little a hard a for me to swallow that a, a living human knew how to de- design a device <laughs> <laughs> that can interpret uh, element, elemental changes, you know, uh, environmental changes um, and, and then comes out with a word, <laughs> a little suspect. It's, I totally see what you're getting at there. <laughs> And, and I, I agree. That's a, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, uh, but you know, again, just our opinions. Yeah. Um, exactly. You know, you know, one time I will say with, um, with a ghost box in the morgue here in Port Gamble, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the post office building, we had taken and put um, an EMF meter on either side of the spirit box. Mm-hmm. And each time, you know, we thought we were getting a, a response or it was a, it was a specific answer to a specific question, the meters would go off. And I thought that was interesting that, that they, is interesting. they would get a spike when we, and it was only when we thought um, that there was a response coming through. And this is when I was with Olympic Peninsula Paranormal Society. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought that was interesting that there was a spike whenever we thought we were getting an answer to something. Right. But that could be, you know, where we're taking another piece of equipment. Then again, is the meter picking up the radio and it, was it just, you know, coincidence? I don't, I don't really know, but it seemed to line up a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what I'm trying to say is that I'm not, I'm not trying to be necessarily harsh on those things. I'm just trying to look at them critical and, and I've seen exactly some weird things with them too. I just don't trust that because we'll take one of the devices I mentioned earlier 
the inventor has never shared its design to the world. And that's weird because how do you know how it's designed? How do you know it's not a bunch of uh, just, you know, its own, his own algorithms, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to scramble and make up whatever. And that's what a lot of people think is going on. Um, but there's also a lot of, you- a lot more people who think it's legitimate. And that's, that's, that's where I'm like, you can't just go off. Yeah. Um, when it comes to equipment we're using, okay, you can't just trust what anybody says. You have to do your research. You have to understand its technology. You have to understand why it's being used. Um, yeah. Or or you're really not getting anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And you, you've got to be able to take the time to, like you said, do the research and your own testing with it. Um, and it sounds like you're almost talking about, um, invest like ghost hunting apps. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. There's some of those. I mean, there was a time where I was at Estes short park, um, at the Stanley hotel and I had, uh, somebody there. This was at one, one of William Becker's events. And, Uh um, I had an individual there say, Hey, I recorded something and, so we had him play it back and you could hear all these like chanting and almost like weird, almost, um, different, um, bells or, or, or I don't know. It was some kind of, uh, noise Chimes that was going, something. yeah, something going on in there with it. Well, I started asking questions. I was like, okay, uh, what did you use to record this? Well, I used my phone. Oh, okay. All right. So what did you use on your phone? The native recording app that came with the phone? Or is this a third party thing? And they were like, oh, it's third party. And I said, okay, what is it? And they said, and I don't remember even the name. I just know it had the name ghost in it. And I was immediately like, (laughs) okay. So then we took two phones, I think it was, and we set them side by side used one of them with the native app, let them record with their, their phone and recorded, you know, in the same room at the same time. Right. Right. The results were different because what was happening was whoever designed that software, they had uh, set it up. So that way it inserted these noises, these sounds into it. So it sounded like some ghostly uh, communication going on. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's a great test that you did there. Um, and, and so for everybody listening out there, are you, you know, when you're, if you're an investigator and you're out there, are you um, checking your own equipment like that or checking, you know, when you think you get an experience and I, and I hope you are. Um, well, I want to kind of move along a little bit because we've only got half an hour left here. It's 33 past the hour in the second hour of the show here. And uh, I want to ask, what is your favorite piece or your most reliable piece of equipment that you use? Well, I could give you that, uh, that classic, uh, you know, my, my own noodle, but um, (laughs) I know what you're asking. And um, I would probably say uh, my, my trusty old um, Trifield meter, natural EMF meter specifically. Um, Yeah. I like that one a lot. Um, And it's because it's a, it's a multi-axis meter. So it's measuring the North and South pole, but then it has another uh, 
antenna or, or uh, measuring device in it that marries those uh, numbers together together to give you like a sum. And uh, it's a it's a great device. It's been used by uh, some some renowned uh, researchers out there and people who I respect and and admire. So um, I've done my research on it, and that's the one thing I try to tell people all the time: is there's no device, and this one included, there's no device on the planet right now that can prove the existence of ghosts, but. <laughs> This device is the best device I've found so far to help me um, have the best foundation to work from when monitoring these these fields. Sure. So um, that's my favorite and, and, device. And do you think that, um, you know, in your opinion, it's got a leg up on most other electromagnetic field measuring devices because it's measuring uh natural you know electromagnetic field versus well, like a k2 meter you know that's going to pick up every electrical device that comes close to it right well i think it's got a leg up in a couple ways one is like i said earlier it's multi-axis uh capable of reading the north and south poles um but it also um, has the ability to have uh, – you can buy a data logger for this this device and, and then actually get data logging. Even though the, um, the trifield meter is an analog device, uh, you can still get a data logger to log its readings and whatnot. Uh, yeah. The other way I think it has a leg up is just that it, it's like you said, it's a natural EMF. It's tuning out man-made frequencies. So it's, it's only looking at or, or uh, measuring those ones outside of it. Yeah. Cause there's, there's so much electrical pollution everywhere mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> man-made I'll say man-made yes. electrical pollution. And we have to continue with go. that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I talk about in the CERM theory is that, you know, that these am- amounts of influxes of uh, frequencies around us may just may in turn fuel some of these supernatural events that we are experiencing because they're, it's kind of like, you know, how some people think that that's why they take the battery, uh, you know, yeah. uh, power. Take a and, juice, Yeah. Yeah. So it could be that. Yeah. And then you could also take it one step farther and that us, the the living are affecting the environment, you know, with like, you know, you mentioned our own bodies have our own frequency. We're, you know, and that's where you get into the parapsychology world, you know, of, you know, if I'm investigating and I've had just a bad day, <laughs> You know, you might get an EVP that's like F you, you know, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yeah. Like that. And that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, uh, the capabilities, if if possible, of reading, quote unquote, the room. Um, yeah. It's just like, you know, I think we all have experienced this at some point in time of our life. You walk into a room you've never been in or haven't been in for a while. And there's an individual you've never met there. And immediately, for whatever reason, 
you don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but you just don't. And yep. sometimes the feelings even mutual, you can see it off them. Yep. So maybe this is part of the whole, you know, uh, thing that we're able to uh, sense other people in, in that respect. And, and yeah, uh, it's uh, like a form of ESP. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so the tri-field meters is your fave and, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, it's a great tool. Um, and so, and it sounds like, you know, uh, if I were to ask you what advice would you give to people out there looking to buy some new equipment, it would be to do the research. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you go to buy a digital audio recorder, anyone's going to work. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell people you got to spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. <laughs> this you can, only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, but um, I, what I'm saying is do your research, you know, you can find out what, uh, online there's specifications for everything nowadays. And so you could take an Olympus, you know, recorder or a Sony digital audio recorder and look up that model number and look up the specifications. And it will tell you what the frequency response range is of that particular device. So if you're wanting to broaden your, your window, you might look for a device that actually has a bigger frequency response range. So I have, uh, Olympus digital audio recorders and they have a frequency response range of so much. And then I have a Tascam, which is like a four track portable, you know, uh, studio like recorder. Nice. And, uh, it's got a wider, uh, frequency response range. And then you can go into like the zooms, like, uh, yeah. the H6 and, and stuff that yeah. do HD audio. You're going to get a, even a, a better, uh, window of opportunity there. So, you know, it depends on what you dump into it, but yeah. um, I just try to tell people, you know, just know that's maybe why you're not getting uh, any responses or some, or, you know, and just might not have a wide enough range, a response it, range based yeah. on what I think, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. No, I, I, I think your theories. Uh, I think there's something to it too, because it, it just makes sense to me, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it just the experiences I've had and stuff. So it, it totally makes sense, but mm-hmm. I do want to change gears a little bit. Um, Cause we got about 20 minutes left and I want to cover some stuff. Sure. So um, now I think I've read somewhere that you had an experience and maybe it was up on the Olympic peninsula. Yeah. Um, involving a big hairy thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tell us a little bit Um, about your, your, uh, your experience uh, with a possible Sasquatch. The great thing is it's a really short and sweet story and I'm not joking. It's very short. Yeah. Right. Um, I had what they called a hardship license at the age of 12. I was allowed to drive. Now, anybody familiar with Washington state knows about the Olympic peninsula and in the 80 or yeah, this would have been the eighties. Uh, late eighties. Um, I had one of the, the hardship license that they uh, awarded kids in rural areas. So I was allowed to drive around without an actual bona fide license, but I was only allowed to drive around in that area. Sure. So here I am at 12, <laughs> I'm driving down the road. Uh, this is no joke. This is not, man, this is really 
how it went down. And here I am driving down this road. And on the left-hand side of the road is a clear-cut section of the Olympic National Forest. On the okay. right-hand side of the uh, the road is untouched. It hasn't been logged or anything yet. Okay. It's starting to snow. And it's, um, I think it's in the middle of the day, or maybe late or early after. Or I don't remember exactly what time of day, but I remember <laughs> it was getting closer towards um, dusk than it was okay. like around lunchtime. Well, anyways, um, it's snowing. It's starting to snow and stick. So I'm driving down this road, and I see something come out from the left-hand side that I told you was all clear-cutted, all logged, and um, and cross across the highway in no time flat, but didn't look like it was running. It had a really large gait. Yeah, it was like walking. More like a walk, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Really fast. <laughs> distance covered but didn't look like the 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 thing was trying to run or make that kind of distance in that kind of time so i tried to stop down the road where i saw it and it was all dark haired colored tall looking um and i tried to stop down the road uh where about where i thought i saw it because that was initially what i thought i was like i just saw a freaking bigfoot (laughs) And I drive down there hoping to see, you know, foot, uh, foot tracks or uh, footprints in the, in the snow, but there were none or none where I, I showed up at. And then I had a vehicle show up right behind me. So I had to keep going. So I didn't get to stay around yeah. and, and, you know, look further. But um, yeah, that was, that was one experience. Apparently I was told by parents that uh, I had another um potential Sasquatch experience when I was a little kid uh, up in the Columbia river gorge here between Oregon and Washington. Yeah. And so the one that you saw when you were driving, I mean, did it look tall? Yeah, it looked very tall. It it seemed like it was very upright. Um, And the way the road was, the road sat a little higher than the actual forest floor did. Okay. So the clear cutted side, sat down lower than the right-hand side because the right-hand side hadn't been logged yet. And so it looked, you know, it was normal intact. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, uh, it just made it across uh, that road in like two or three steps, a two lane highway uh, in like two or three steps and, and was back in the (laughs) woods again and gone. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. So did yeah. you, I mean, do you, um, you know, I consider, you know, uh, Bigfoot chasing, investigating, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's kind of part of the paranormal too. Yeah, It's I think next so. to normal. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, have you done, have you ever gone out and tried to, you know, do some research or is it just something, um, you know, you'll have, you'd love to have an experience if you have one and hopefully you could record it. I have good intentions every year to try to get out and do some, some, um, uh, what I like to call, um, more tracking or more, um, along the line. I don't like calling it hunting. Um, but like, you know, just kind of like a field research of sorts, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But I have a, a good intentions pretty much every year to get out. And if I'm <laughs> honest, it hasn't happened in a little while. Last time I did, I was with uh, a good buddy of mine, also colleague. Um, we went out into the woods of the Skamania area. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we got a pretty far out there and we were about five minutes from where we were going to start doing some scouting and got shot at several times by who knows. I don't know what we came across. I don't know. Whoa. Some kind of drug operation out in the middle of, I mean, we were out in nowhere. Yeah. Way out nowhere. Smoke. Yeah. It was pretty intense for a minute. We got shot at and um, I had to boogie out of there and my, my SUV, which was not good on it, it got all scratched up because the trail had brush all the way up to the road. You oh, know? So man. You, you would drive down it <laughs> doing like three miles an hour. But when I'm getting shot at, I'm doing 45, 50, trying to get out of there. Getting out of there, yeah. Yeah. So so that, that was the That's... last time. But we did have something interesting happen. Um, we were driving along, and I have a video of it up on my YouTube of where we um, – we were driving along. It was dark out and all of a sudden we had the windows down and the, the strongest smell of urine just hit us like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was really intense. Um, wow. I've been in the woods Yuck. plenty throughout my life mm-hmm. and I've had things, I guess, similar to it, but nothing as strong and so just, foul yeah <laughs> so i don't know what it was i can't say that was sasquatch either but it was very uh interesting that we had it while we were out in that part of the country when when that's a known area for uh sasquatch yeah to be sighted. oh totally yeah totally well i i wanted to i'm going to make it a point this year to look more in my surrounding neighborhood here because <laughs> mm-hmm. we've got about four forty five hundred 4,500 acres of forest right next to a uh, little port gamble here. And I had an experience a few years ago of hearing these just God awful noises coming out of the woods. Um, and it, it just sounded like these two bears going at it is what wow. it sounded like. And then there was also like some sort of rhythmical wood knocking going on underneath all this sound. Huh. And then, and then it kind of slowed the sound, slowed down the moan, the groaning. And then it kind of sounded more like a human type vocal vocalization, kind of like, right. a, uh. and then, um, and by the way, I, didn't have my phone out recording because I was freaked out. Um, and then <laughs> as like one, one would do, morning. right? Yeah. And then it, it's, it's pretty late. It was like one in the morning and then uh, military Humvees roll through Port Gamble with guys in turrets on the top and guns pointed and spotlights spotting the area in the tree line where I thought the noises were coming from. And then they, I could hear them drive back in there up the little service trail. And then I never heard a thing after that. So I don't, wow. I was freaked out, man. Yeah. That's I, a pretty that interesting. Was, that's not only were you recognizing this, this, uh, ex, you know, encounter yeah. or whatever it was, 
But they obviously must have heard it too, based on well, the direction and the and there's attention a sub, they were giving it. Yeah, there's a naval base a few miles away, but man, it was. Uh, I mean, I I almost hit the deck when I saw the Humvees because I was like, I don't want them seeing me out here, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sleeping right. around. But yeah, that was pretty crazy. Well, we'll have to talk more about that kind of stuff. Um, we'll have you back on the show sometime sure. if you'd be willing to. Yeah. I'd love to have you back. Um, but I want to touch on um, because I've had. Um, I'm going to eventually have all the League of Extracentric Gentlemen on here <laughs> <laughs> at some point. But you're, um, I've had Casey Goodwin and Neil McNeil on, and you guys are like this um, conglomerate group. Um, that has come together like-minded individuals, you know, as we talked about before. Um, and so you guys are working on this documentary, the permanence of paranormal case study on the old Wheeler hotel in Wheeler, Oregon. And coming from a technical background, what's been kind of the funnest part of filming for you from a technical standpoint? This is, um, you guys have been filming for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's a case study. So yeah. you're going over a long period of time. So what's kind of been the funnest part technically that you've kind of found? Hey, I, I kind of like this. Um, just building, furthering those relationships with Neil, Michael, Casey, and Jay. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. And there's a lot of redoing stuff because, you know, we're trying to figure this out and, and we've got things that we learn as we go along, as anybody has seen following our, our Facebook page. Um, Casey does a great job of highlighting some of our accomplishments and, and uh, some of the areas where we've made some leaps and bounds in. And, and yeah. you know, uh, that's all re- really rewarding, but it's that time with these guys that I find the most valuable and my favorite part of it. Um, the second piece is telling the story, you know, of the old Wheeler hotel. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, um, shining a, a, a positive light and a, a non-scary element on yes. a location that does not deserve to have that kind of, uh, you know, publicity yeah. or that that kind of stigma um yeah. and you know just you know telling the history and and the story and and everything that's that's a lot of fun for for me and i know it is for the guys too yeah yeah i it's so needed out there to tell a story in this in this way and it kind of goes to what i was talking to at the top of the show tonight was you know uh, putting a, a human element to spirits or, you know, telling their story, thinking of them not as a scary ghost, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but as a, as a person. And I think the story can come even more alive. And so I know that you guys, um, you know, were able to do just a little bit of filming, a little bit of work. Uh, I know COVID's really kind of threw a wrench in mm-hmm. the in the whole thing as far as timing and, and getting production done. Um, but uh, you know, what do what do you think? Without spoiling anything, um, what do you think? What are you most excited for when you guys put this out? What's what are you most excited for? Um, I'm most excited that people will start thinking differently. Uh, they'll start considering our end of 
the way we we're trying to propose people, you know, approach things or look at things uh, and uh, show this, you know, there's a lot of, um, I like to call them hit it and quit it teams. A lot of teams out there that like to just do an investigation and they're on their way to the next one. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it, this is, this is one of those things they, they do this and, and that's their style. But we, I just, I'm excited for people to see a different way to do things without making it scary, without uh, selling fear and, and, you know, just doing yeah. honest, critical thinking work. It, yeah. And, and we need it. <laughs> we need mm-hmm. it out there. Um, well, I look forward to, to it coming out and I hope you guys can, uh, get back to work on it when things are, you know, when it's kosher to do that and, and safe and everything. And I look forward to co- to seeing that come out. And there's a Facebook page for it. Yes. Um, the permanence, a paranormal case study. Right. And then there's, um, the permanence film dot com right correct and then you guys have some awesome trailers up on youtube so look up the permanence of paranormal case study they say they're not filmmakers but go check it out and (laughs) (laughs) see what you think but uh, we got a question here that michael white has posed uh, and i want to hit that before we uh, sign off for the night real quick okay so this goes back to frequency response range because you know he's going to throw a question like that um if the frequency response range exceeds human hearing, how can you hear the recording when it's played back? That means well, it's been changed. How valid yeah. is modified data? Yeah. And he's absolutely right. And that's what I talked about. I touched a little bit on earlier was it's modulating. It's changing that, that sound. And he's absolutely right. So we got to figure out a way to design equipment that's going to help us record things, whether we can pick it up with our, our ears or not. And then put it into graph form so we can see these, you know, follow it along. Right. With the appropriate Um, software or whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But he's absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, a a digital audio recorder in itself is modulating the recording. It's taking it and it's, it's like certain sounds that we don't pick up or, or the fact of a, a, a disembodied voice speaking back to us that we don't actually hear with our naked ears then your your uh, your device is somehow capturing something there, but it's converting it into a fashion so it fits in that window, that frequency response range, and plays it back. And that's what I think is a byproduct is yeah um, these these anomalous recordings. Yeah, well, and it just kind of takes you back to we've just got to find some way. <laughs> to be able to major <laughs> and capture on multiple devices. Yes. You know, like you said, and then put it into software there. Well, we're getting close um, to the end of the show, but uh, definitely check out the, the permanence, a paranormal case study. Everyone listening out there. If you haven't yet, go check out the trailers on YouTube, check out their website or follow them on their Facebook page as well. Um, and then definitely check out Ben's website. That's www.a-sep.org. So asep.org. If you want to read his article on the CIRM hypothesis, it's pretty interesting. Um, and then the universal mind theory as well. 
You've got uh, an article on that too. Definitely go check it out because it's it's it was thought provoking for me. Um, and like I said, Ben, I saw you speak on Universal Mind Theory way back. You know, feels mm-hmm. like a long time ago, but I guess it really wasn't. It, but, it feels like a long time know. ago to me too. <laughs> back when we didn't have to have means. masks. Oh yeah, that yeah. <laughs> when we could be around people, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, go check out his website, check out the work he's doing. Um, and along with, you know, the permits that all those guys working together. Uh, it's pretty interesting. And Ben, I really appreciate you coming on. We've got um, another one of your fellows, you're one of your colleagues coming on later this month. Um, so coming up, a great lineup this month. We started, we kicked off the new year with Ben. It was a great way to kick off the new year. We've got uh, William Becker a psychic medium coming on next Tuesday. And then uh, the week after that on the 19th, I've got investigator and author Rick Hale um, from the shadow initiative and spooky Isles, And so he's coming on the 19th. And then my good friend, Mr. Michael white with uh, paranormal research and investigations of Washington. He's also a part of the permanence of paranormal case study as well. So I've got him rounding out the month here. So, and then we're going to have a great lineup for February as well. And uh, I appreciate all the support with the show. Everybody listening out there, we're on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. This show will be up on uh, the show archive. If you just go to the website, it'll be up tomorrow. And um, if you weren't able to catch all of it, definitely go listen to the archive. There's a lot of other great shows on the station. So I implore you to check them out as well. And Ben, again, many thanks uh, for coming on and kicking off the new year on the paranormal Pete show with, with me and really appreciate it. And we'll love to have you back on sometime. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's, it's an honor. Um, And I leave the show with a toast that the past is history, the future is a mystery, but today is a gift because it's the present. Don't forget to be in the present with all the crazy stuff in the world out there going on. Be in the present. Hug the ones around you. Virtually hug everybody else. And with that, we'll see y'all next week. Have a great one. Thanks. Some hope gets by.